Hey, good morning. Hey, turn with me to First uh, Thessalonians. Uh, last week we had finished up uh, chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians and I prefaced uh, last week as we began the service and we began to read the scripture, I prefaced last week that that's just where we were at in our study of scripture and I, and I understand everything that's happening around this world and a lot of people... Uh, uh, may come into uh, a church like this and all of a sudden we're dealing with these things out of 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, chapter 5 and you're like, this is a response to what's happening in the world when in all reality it's not a response to what's happening in the world. It's just we're in God's Word and it has us at this, at this place and uh, it's just applicable and, and the timing of it is more sovereign than it is the manipulation or the cunning of our minds to try to set this up like this, right? We understand that. So if you're here today and there's an application of this scripture and you feel like in your heart and in your mind, oh man, God is speaking to me, you may very well be right. Because we are not crafty enough, crafty enough nor are we smart enough to be able to assess and evaluate every person's heart that is in this sanctuary this morning to try to contrive a message to speak to that individual. And so we're just going to open up the Word. We're going to let God speak, okay? So what we're going to do is I'm going to read the Scripture that we covered last week. And the reason being is because the Scripture we're going to cover this week smoothly transitions, the conversation has not ended, but it smoothly transitions then into Paul continuing to elaborate on the same subject matter, okay? So we're going to read this scripture, and then we're going to slide into the scripture that we're going to handle and address today. But we're going to do that as we work through it, okay? All right? So let's read this. The Apostle Paul in chapter 4, verse 13, in response to this young church's concern about those in Jesus who have already died, not fully understanding the gravity of the resurrection and the coming of Jesus, they were concerned about those who had died, whether or not they would experience or would be left out of this glorious experience of being alive when Jesus returned for his church, right? And so Paul, not wanting them to be misinformed, writes this to them. Are you with me? Everybody listening? This is very important. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed. He doesn't want them to be incorrect about their thinking. He says this, brothers, about those who are asleep, and asleep, we, he's referring to those who are dead, that you may not grieve as, uh, as others do who have no hope. He didn't say you wouldn't grieve. He said that you may not grieve like everyone else grieves, hopeless grieving. We who are followers of Jesus, even in those seasons of our life when we've suffered traumatic loss, though we grieve about the loss, we do not grieve as hopeless people grieve. Right? He says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, 
Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. This is the Lord's word. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, we will not precede those who have fallen asleep. You know what he's saying to, the, to these people in Thessalonica? Your loved ones who have gone on to be with the Lord, those who have died, they're not going to miss out on this. There's an assurance that this is an experience that will be shared jointly with those who sleep in Jesus and those who remain alive upon the return of Jesus and the coming of Jesus. That's what, that's what he says. And he, and he says this, <clears throat> For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, including himself in this, who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You get that? Encourage one another with these words. So, Father, in Jesus' name, as we begin to open up the Scripture, as it continues to move, Lord, let it move us. May the truth that Paul spoke to the Thessalonian church, this young church, these words of encouragement, these words of, uh, 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 of, of strength and hope, Lord, may it be that for us this morning. May we experience that same thing this morning. Those of us who have gathered here this morning who feel overwhelmed uh, by life situations and circumstances, who are being pulled from, uh, from uh, the right and uh, from the left, who are being stretched so thin. Oh God, I pray today that hope would be found in your words and in your presence. Oh God, I pray that we would not get in the way of what your word says that we would rightfully divide it, understand it, and apply it. And it's in the name of Jesus. We ask these things, trusting you to deliver. To deliver the very thing that our hearts, minds, and lives need from you as your children, Father. It's in the name of Jesus we ask this. Amen. Amen. Okay. We just read that script. Now we're going to transition chapter 5. Though there's a chapter break, it doesn't mean necessarily that the conversation is broken and then it restarts. Uh, chapter breaks are not something that were, that were uh, 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 an influence of God. This is something implemented by man. And so some, sometimes when you see these chapter breaks, it can kind of lead you into the thinking that all of a sudden uh, we're changing gears and going another direction. And that's not actually what is happening here. So that same conversation is taking place and the Apostle Paul says these words. Now, now, concerning the times and the seasons... The word times is chronos, meaning a succession of moments, kind of like a, a timetable, minutes, days, months, years. So when he says time, he's talking about a duration or a period of time. And then he says, now concerning the times and the seasons, now there's something different when he uh, speaks to seasons. It is the word keros, and it deals with the critical nature of time or the opportunity within the context of time. He says, 
He said, now understand, now concerning the times and the seasons of the times. Concerning the time and the opportunity within time is what he's saying. This is important. Brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Now complete, now, now understand his position regarding the times and the seasons in relations to his position regarding those who were dead in Christ. If you go back to chapter 4, what we had said in 4.13, he says, I do not want you to be informed, right? He said, you lack knowledge. But regarding the times and seasons, what does he say right here? You have no need to have anything written to you. Why is that? For you yourselves are fully aware. Akribos in the Greek, and it means that you have been taught completely or circumspectly, meaning the teaching that they had received from Paul regarding the times and the seasons was full. Meaning he had reached all the way around them, taught them from every angle regarding this. To whatever uh, understanding the Apostle Paul had been given by God to give to the church of Thessalonians, he had taught them as though they were centered in his teaching and he walked all the way around them covering everything that God had given him to give to them. That's what it means. That's what it means. That's what it's, that's what it's saying right there. He says, for you yourselves are fully aware. Aware of what? That the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. That's what they were aware of. The implication is this. That he had taught them that the imminent return of Jesus would be something that was unpredictable and would come upon them as a thief in the night. Now listen, I don't know if you've ever had your house broken to. I don't know if you ever lived in a neighborhood where that happened. I have no idea. But the one thing I can tell you about a thief, a thief's not going to call you and make an appointment to break into your house. Right? You get this, right? A thief isn't going to send you a text message. He's not going to, going to get on social media. He's not going to, he's not going to you know, uh, uh, drop you some little sign that, hey, man, I'm, I'm about to come into your house as soon as the sun sets, so I, I need you to be gone so I can come. That's not what he was saying, basically, is he's going to come at an hour you do not expect. Right? Now, Jesus actually spoke of this in Matthew chapter 24, Right? The Olivet Discourse, if you've done any studying in 24 and 25. And he uses the exact term that the Apostle Paul uses here. So Paul's not creating this term. This is the term that had already been spoken by Jesus regarding a thief, like a thief in the night. You know what? You and I would be better off if the phrases, terms, and the language that we were using the dialogue and the discourse that we were exchanging with people were the words of Jesus, right? That's just a little simple truth. Let me drop that idea, all right? Put that in the old backpack and carry that one home, right? Listen, listen. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says this regarding the thief, as a thief in the night, the return, the coming, the time. This is what he says. Now listen, we're just contextualizing this scripture. We want to understand this, okay? 
But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Hmm. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Well, you're reading that and you say, well, what were the days of Noah like? Then all of a sudden we start uh, uh, trying to turn our minds and we start trying to determine and discern uh, how were the times of Noah when it's completely unnecessary because Jesus then goes on to describe the days of Noah. And this is what he says. Listen. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, Marrying and given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. You know what he was saying in this moment? Life was going on as life goes on. Listen. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one, take, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, listen. Stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. But, now you don't know that, but know this. He's saying you don't know that, but I want you to know this. That's very important. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now we stretch our minds and our hands around the happenings of this world as though it's this huge jigsaw puzzle and we're pulling piece from here, piece from there and we're trying to put this puzzle together and we come to a conclusion that this is the image. This was, I mean, it looks like that and yet Jesus says that hour that you're expecting, that you think that it's coming, that's not the hour. It's a time that you don't expect. And then he says this, Listen, this is for Trent and you. Who then is the fruitful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Listen. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Are you a faithful and wise servant? You know what Jesus is saying right there? There's an assignment in your life. Whatever God has called you to do, be about doing it. And the only way that you and I can be wise and faithful servants to be found doing what God has called us to do at an hour that we do not expect his return to be is to be presently wise and faithful. It isn't a state to get in in response to him. It is a state to be in in expectation of him. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Whatever the call is. Now what you have to understand when he references the days of Noah and they're building this ark, guess who else was eating and drinking while the ark was being built and being married? How about Noah and his family? Ham, Sham, and Japheth were all married, right? They were all eating, were they not? They were all drinking, were they not? But at the same time that they were eating, drinking, living, being married, they were doing what? Building the ark. So you and I 
as wise and faithful servants need to be about the ark building that God has called us to, remain faithful over that, live our lives as though Jesus could imminently return at any moment, and you and I can be found faithful such as that. Well, how do, how do we do it, Trent? How can we be found faithful? We have to be prepared. There has to be an expectation in our heart. The imminent return of Jesus literally could happen at any moment. The story goes that there was a castaway who had been shipwrecked. His small boat had, 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 had gone, uh, 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 had, had gone uh, uh, I suppose, under uh, to a degree, and he had been shipwrecked on this small island. His name was not Gilligan, right? He had been shipwrecked, this castaway. And so an SOS had been sent out while it could be sent out, but the recovery of this man, the finding of this man, had taken months. When the rescue ship finally arrived to this little island, to their shock and their amazement, they found the castaway on the beach with whatever luggage he was able to, to get off the boat, whatever supplies he was able to get off the boat, standing on the beach, ready and prepared to be rescued. The captain of the ship and his men come off the boat. They witness this, they're amazed by this, and they ask the castaway, they said, how did you know we were coming today? The castaway responded and said, I did not know you were coming today. I got up every day and got everything ready and made my way down to the beach just in case you did come. Every day I prepared to be rescued, anticipating that my help was coming because I didn't want to be unprepared if you arrived and then be left still a castaway. So you and I, it is incumbent upon us to be wise and faithful servants in the place that God has called you and me. Mm. And then the scripture says, <clears throat> let me read this, that the day of the Lord will not come like a thief in the night, while people are saying, listen to what he's saying, this is, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Them. See the contrast? Sudden destruction will come, he didn't say sudden destruction will, become, will come upon us. Sudden destruction will, become, will come upon them. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. They will not escape. Now, there's a qualifier in the following verse, and I want you to get this. But he says, but you are not in darkness. Do you see that? See the contrast? He's basically saying that the, there's people, right? There's people, unlike yourself, who are in darkness, who will not escape when that time comes. And he says to them, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. He's basically saying, I know you guys are day people living with an awareness that Jesus could return. Hence, you're asking and inquiring about those who have already passed away because in your heart there is an expectation that he may come at any moment. He said, you are not like them, the children of darkness, who may be caught off guard. That's what he says. 
But you're not in darkness, brothers. And he's contrasting the children of darkness with the children of day or light, which he referenced them to be in the following verses. Now the Apostle Paul, looking at these people, understanding who they are, saying that you will not be caught off guard like that, the reason he is so confident in regards to making these statements directed toward the Thessalonians is that the Apostle Paul who had been given an assignment for the Thessalonian church as well as every other Gentile uh, born and expressed church in the Apostle Paul's life, he was given this assignment in Acts chapter 26, verse 15 through 18, when the apostle, it was actually earlier, Paul is actually telling this account later how it had happened, and he says this in, in, in Acts chapter 26, he says that the Lord appeared to him, and he said of the Lord, who are you, Lord? You remember his, his experience on the Damascus Road? He's retelling this story again. He, he told this multiple times in the book of Acts. He says, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, Right? whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand up upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. Listen, this is the purpose. To appoint you a servant and witness to the things which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear or which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from the darkness, from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by me. So when Paul looks at them and he says to this Thessalonian church, right, you'll not be deceived. You'll not be caught off guard like a thief. You know why? Because that very thing that Jesus had told him that he would be doing for these Gentiles, he had done for the church at Thessalonica. For example, when, when Jesus says you will... Uh, deliver them from the power of Satan to God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. He literally said, I've been told to do this and I've witnessed this in your life. And then he goes on in the scripture says that they may receive forgiveness of sins. That's what Jesus told Paul his assignment was to be. How did he address the Thessalonian church? He's, he literally said this, to the church, those who have been brought in, who have been forgiven, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and in the Lord. He was literally saying, the reason I've got confidence that you'll not be duped is that God has called me to this task and you have been an expression of that task. You are now in the Father and in Jesus Christ. You have received forgiveness. Man, this is at play in your life. And then he says, not only that, Jesus says, forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 2, verse 3, chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, says, For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Right? So that is the reason. He sees all this playing out in all of their lives. These are the credentials of the Thessalonian church. Hence, Paul says to, says to them, You will not be duped. You will not be surprised. This thing is living out in your life. And then he goes on, and this is what he says. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are children of light, children of day. 
This is called a Hebraism. And it's, it's used metaphorically to picture a prominent moral ethical characteristic in a person or persons. When he refers to them as children of light or children of day, he's literally saying, you guys express in your life these qualities, these prominent, these, 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 these overwhelming characteristics that would identify you as such. Now this is something, this Hebrewism is something that happens throughout the New Testament. It happens throughout the New Testament. When, when people are called either children of or sons of or daughters of certain characteristics that define their life. For example, if you go into 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, when it's talking about the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, you know what I'm talking about? He's called the son of destruction. Right? Right? When you go into Ephesians chapter 5, verses 6 and 10, those who are disobedient, who have rejected God, are called sons of disobedience. Now there's one you probably forgot about, because all of these have a negative connotation, right? But there's another expression of this Hebrewism, and I want you to understand this, because my question to you is, what would you be a son or daughter of today if you were labeled with such a title? But there's another one, and it's found in Acts chapter 4, verse 36 and 37. And it's this Levite cat named Joseph. Now let me read you a little bit about this guy, this Hebraism. It says, thus Joseph, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sowed a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Have you ever heard of this, Joseph? Maybe not under that name. Let me give you a little more. Thus Joseph, who was, who was also called by the apostles, Barnabas, or son of encouragement, right? Right? What are you this morning? Could you honestly say this morning, I'm a son of the day. I'm a son of the light. I'm a son of encouragement. When people see you coming into the setting, the equation, are people like, man, here comes the son of encouragement, a son of day, a son of light. Or do they see you and say, oh, no, here comes a son of turmoil, a son, daughter of dysfunction, a son or daughter of darkness. The apostle Paul right here says, for you are children of light, children of the day. And when he says that, I love the fact that he says, for you are all. Now what would that, what would that matter to you and me? Do you think every Thessalonian believer is at the same place in their spiritual maturity? Do you think every Thessalonian believer was at the same place of the same level of maturation? Of course not. Of course not. Does that therefore then mean they're not children of the light or children of the day? Of course not. He says, for you all are. All are children of the light, children of the day. And then he says this, and he includes himself. We are not of the night or of the darkness, right? With absolute conviction, the Apostle Paul includes himself with them, and he says, 
You're children of the light, and we are not children of the darkness. That's what we are not of the darkness. And let me say this to you as brothers and sisters in Jesus, because I want to encourage you. When we find our identity in Jesus, and we find out who we are, we also find out who we're not. And we need to understand that in this identity as children of the day, we need to understand that there is a distinguishing then. There's a line drawn in the sand. This is who we are and this is who we're not. I will tell you who we're not this morning. We are not children of the twilight. We are not children who are defined by dusk or dawn, partially light or partially darkness. That's not who we are. We are absolutely all of us in Jesus, children of the light, children of the day, at different places of maturity, but we are defined by him. And one of the great hurts within the church is this huge identity crisis where we don't know where we belong. We don't know who we are. Listen, they said, statistics said that in 2022, identity theft cost Americans, $8.8 billion. I'm telling you, spiritual identity theft, you being robbed and confused about your identity in Jesus is costing much more than $8.8 billion. So you and I, as children of the day, children of the light, need to allow our identity to dictate the conduct and the manner in which we approach life. People should never look at us and say, I'm not sure, regardless of where we're at in the maturation process. No one looks at a toddler and says, is that a human? Because they can't run, they can't jump, they can't climb. They say, of course it's a human. They're just immature physically. And so you may not spiritually be climbing mountains. You may, you may not be leaping over huge barriers spiritually. Man, you may be climbing, scratching, doing all you can to get over the smallest hills in your life. But you're still climbing. You're still crawling. And you're still overcoming. Why? You're a day person. You're a day person. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake. So then, considering we're day people, right? Let us, Paul includes himself as being subject to the same word. Paul says, let us, meaning I have to do this too. And he says this, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Gregorio in the Greek, when it says to stay awake or keep awake, it means there's a responsibility in the conduct. Know what it doesn't say. Let us be kept awake by an outside force. That's not what it says. The responsibility is upon us to respond to God in regards to what he's doing in our lives. There is a culpability in our hearts and in our minds to be actively pursuing a, a place of awareness in our walk with God. It isn't something that we just abandon 
to the sovereignty of God and you say, well, let God do all this. God has called us to be responsive people to respond to the grace He has administered and extended to us in our lives. Every one of us. He says, let us keep awake and be sober. Sober, nepho in, in the Greek. And it, it literally means this. It means to be free from every form of mental and spiritual intoxication. The idea is to be clear and present is what it means. He's not talking about drinking. Now, we can address that. But he's talking about in your mind being sober, being clear and present. Listen, listen. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I sleep at night, right? Now, you understand that's not what he's talking about, right? You know, that's, that's not what he's talking about. The sleep or the spiritual slumber he's talking about and the drunk, the mental and spiritual intoxication, the unclear, takes place not in a time of night, but in a condition of night. Meaning whatever Whatever your identity is, the darkness, whatever it might be, it's going to produce in your life, if you're, if you're in the darkness, a slumbering of your heart and mind and an intoxication of your heart and mind, an unclearness and a disconnect. It isn't the disconnect causing the condition. It is the condition causing the disconnect. And that's what he's saying right there. Night in this scripture isn't referencing a, a point after midnight. It's referencing a condition of their heart. I know all of you are thinking. You're thinking, okay, I'm going to get a nighttime job. I'm going to start sleeping during the day. I'm going to third shift. But since we belong to the day, the fact that we are day people, we're people of light, we belong. We belong. Followers of you belong. Right? But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. This is present tense, right? And how do we do this? Having put on past tense. And they are uh, tense in the Greek. It's a simple past tense. How do we do this? Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, shielding your heart, right? You can see this, right? This imagery. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. That's what he's saying here. And you need to guard your heart. You need to guard your mind. Right? Right? You, you get this, right? Now, when I mention this breastplate of righteousness, and I mention this helmet, this, this hope of salvation, the very first thing you, along with Trent, does is you think about Ephesians, don't you? Right? Ephesians chapter 10, verses 10 through 18. And what do we start thinking about? We start thinking about this armor of God, right? Whenever you think of the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation, you start thinking about getting armored up, right? And you think, well, the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians is referencing Ephesians, right? Is that what you're thinking? He's not. Ephesians hadn't even been written yet. He's not referencing Ephesians. As a matter of fact, Ephesians, regarding chapter 6, and this portion of Scripture is actually referencing an Old Testament Scripture. Isaiah 59. That's what he's referencing. And you know what Isaiah 59 is referencing? God establishing a Redeemer to save His cause. 
That's what Isaiah 59 is referencing. As a matter of fact, let's read this. The Lord saw it. What did he see? Go back and read Isaiah 59. He saw that there was no one capable. There was no intercessor. There was no, no uh, 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 individual to stand in the gap. There was no man that could do this. This is what God saw. You can read it in its context. Go back at another time and read the entire thing. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. And you know what God does? Then his own arm. You know what that means? Through God's own power. Through God's own power. Then his own arm brought him salvation, brought God's salvation. And his righteousness upheld him. Through his own arm he did this. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He's talking about the expression of his own arm doing this because there was no one else who could do it. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Now listen to me, listen. Listen to this. According to their deeds, so will he repay. Talking about this expression of the arm and power of God who has on a, a, a breastplate and a helmet. He says, he, so, he, so will he repay wrath to his adversaries. Did you get that? Remember it. Repayment to his enemies, to the coastlands, he will render repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. Listen, and a redeemer will come to Zion. To those in Jacob who turn from transgressions, declare the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you, my words that I have put in your mouth, shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. 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 Now you remember what I just read you. Let's walk through this scripture in 1 Thessalonians with that as the backdrop. Remember what it said in Isaiah 59, 18? So he will repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. Remember when I just read that? Let's read what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. For God has not destined us for wrath. Man, what are you talking about? That should be a praise the Lord. You know why? Because we're not his enemies. We're not his enemies. Why? Because we're day kids. We're day kids. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the contrast? We aren't destined for wrath. We're destined for what? To obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what did Isaiah 59, 20 say? And a redeemer will come to Zion. To those that Jacob returned from transgression, declares the Lord. And then Paul says in verse 5, 9 and 10, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake, meaning dead, 
or asleep, we might live with him. Right? Right? Listen to this. Listen. When it says, speaking of Jesus, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. What in Matthew 26? We, we do communion out of Matthew 26, right? Verse 28, what did Jesus say? For this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins, right? His blood is establishing this covenant. Well, what did I just read out of Isaiah chapter 59, verse 21? And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. And he finishes it by saying, for this time forth and forevermore, from what time forth? From the moment God, through the power of his own arm, delivers a redeemer into Zion, man. And you know who he's talking about? He's talking about his king. It was brought about by his power. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 speaks of this king, speaks of this redeemer with a, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. This is who Zechariah is talking about. And he says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming. This is a prophetic word speaking of Jesus. Righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a coat, the foe of a donkey. That's your king. That is Jesus. And that is Jesus. Having said all those things, the Apostle Paul then says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. With the hope, with the hope of Jesus, with the identity that they had found in Jesus, as day people, he says to them, encourage one another, encourage one another. Who's responsible for that, Ronnie, to encourage one another? Every one of us. It ain't upon Trent to encourage everybody and everyone just say, hey, I'm waiting for Trent to call me. Trent's got, I've got a scheduled appointment for Monday at 6 o'clock. Trent's supposed to call and encourage me. And then Kevin says, well, he better encourage you fast. I've got an appointment for 610. <laughs> That's not what the scripture says. It says encourage one another. That responsibility is your responsibility. That responsibility is my responsibility. That responsibility is our responsibility to encourage one another. And then it says to build each other up. Build each other up. To place structural support is what the word would mean. It is the word okois domiel. And it means literally, in the Greek, it would imply anyways the building of a house. A support structure. To protect. And God is calling us to encourage and to build strength in one another. So when you come and you're heartbroken and you're discouraged in your spirit and in your life, I need to, with whatever means I have, grab some means of support and structure and strength and apply it to your life. 
And in that moment, when you see me lacking strength and encouragement, you too should take hold of structures of support and apply them to my life and a reciprocated obedience to God leaves everyone encouraged and strengthened. No one abandoned. And then the Apostle Paul says this, just as you are doing, the implication is simple, do it more and more. He said, you're doing this. Why am I telling you to do it again? If you're already doing it. He said, just as you're doing. But yet he says it again. To him, like, keep on. Keep giving. Keep encouraging more. Keep giving strength more. Don't become slack. Just as you. Would you say this morning, honestly, that that would apply to you? Could I say to you this morning, on behalf of the Lord, encourage and strengthen one another just as you're doing. And if you continue doing just as you're doing, would that actually lend encouragement and strength to anyone? Or would there be required of you to encourage and strengthen for you to change what you're doing? I have to ask that of me. I have to ask that of me. Now listen, you guys know I'm getting old, right? Yeah, my son, daughter, they know I'm old. My granddaughter knows I'm old. My doctors definitely know I'm old. But this week, I went to see uh, my optometrist. You know, I just went last year, just paid about $400 for glasses. And they told me, they said, hey, Trent, come back every couple years. But over this last year, AJ, my, my vision. I know I just got my eyes checked, man, but my vision is kind of kind of foggy, a little distorted. And I'm like, hey man, this shouldn't be happening until year two. I go in the optometrist did tell me, she said, your, your eyes aren't bad. That's how she yours are pretty good for your age. So she said, like, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke your, your lack of encouragement. You ain't building me up. That's what I felt like saying. But she said, they, they came in, they, 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 they started to examine my eyes and, and they looked at my last prescription and she, she said, hey, hey Trent, uh, we're going to have to bump you up a little bit. Uh, your prescription needs to be strengthened a little. She said, uh, you, you have some cataracts they're small now, and she said, we'll have to keep an eye on them. Because right now, they're not causing much distortion. But if we don't keep an eye on them, at some point, they will cause some distortion, some blurred vision, some graying out, some loss of color. And she said, here's the prescription. You need to get this field and get some new glasses, and we're more than happy to sell you a pair for $600. I said, get behind me, Satan. I went online. I ordered them for $200. All right. Listen, listen, listen. I knew I needed to go to the doctor because what used to be really clear when I first got these glasses aren't as clear. 
Now, I can live like that. I could have waited it out. But I wanted to see clear. I wanted to see clear. And when the doctor told me about the cataracts, he said, you have to keep an eye on that. We have to keep an eye on that. You know what you and I need to do as followers of Jesus, as children of day? We need to be able to recognize when our vision are, is compromised. You know what I mean, Josh? Sometimes we just got to be honest. We got to be honest. And there's times, man, we have to be re-examined. Because just like these are physical glasses, God gives us spiritual glasses. That the carnal, physical eye just can't see certain spiritual things. But when we put on those spiritual glasses, man, there's some things, man, that you can see clear. You can see clear. You can see clear. But we have to make sure that our spiritual lenses are the right prescription. And the prescription you were written when you were 15 and 20 and 25 and 30 as a young believer? Can you imagine if I were wearing the prescription glasses that I wore when I was 25 years old? I'd straight up Mr. Magoo you. I couldn't see beyond that first row. And some of us have come into relationships with Jesus as young people, and we have abandoned the necessity to be examined and reassessed. And we're trying to see today from lenses that were fitted to us as children of the faith. No wonder we walk around blind. And we say, but we got glasses. And I'm a believer. I mean, oh, you may be. Well, when was the last time you had your lenses checked? When was the last time you subjected yourself to the care of the great physician? My prayer for you as we study through this scripture is that we find ourselves similar to that of the Thessalonians, that we would have hope, that we would be children of the day, that we would walk as such, our lives would express that, and that you and I, with the knowledge of the return of Jesus, which is imminent, this is our great hope, we would be found as wise and faithful servants when the time comes. Why is that? Because we're living each day, living each with an updated, visual, spiritual prescription. And that we could encourage and strengthen each other more and more. Yeah, stand with me this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in our hearts, oh God, let us be those people. May I encourage, may I be a one who strengthens, may I be a day kid. 
May it never be in doubt that we're children of the day. May it be said of TDC Church. That's a day church. Now those are day people. That's no doubter. They're day people. May that be said of our homes. Those are day homes. That's a day marriage. That's a day friendship. Lord, let that be said of us. And Father, because we're going to trust you as the events of this world play out before us, may we not be shaken or moved in fear, but may our hearts be solidified, our resolve strengthened, and our confidence ever growing by the encouragement of your word and your people that we too can say in our hearts, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. So Father, I bless my brothers and sisters. I challenge them as you have challenged me to walk and to live as day people. Go with us, Lord, as we leave this building, this location, and may we go out there. May we go out there and be day people. Father, I ask that you would encourage my brothers and sisters and today give us opportunities to be a strength, to build up, to come alongside of. May that be us. May that be us to your glory. And it's in the name of Jesus, these things we ask. And the sons and daughters, the day people, said amen. 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 God bless you. God bless you.